Okay, freaks, this is the guide to your psychopath. This podcast is not about me telling you how you're fucked up. I'm here to learn about your past and how it affects your decision making. I've been studying people for a long time now, but I've never asked them about how their mind goes through the process. I want to read your guide. I want to know how you think and feel. This will not be edited to take snippets out of context, but I believe everyone will benefit from hearing all of the conversation. Learning your guide will make it better for me to understand you. Welcome to the Guide to Your Psychopath. Uh, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself. Uh, hello, my name is Tony Fiedler. To- Tony. I work with Louie at uh, FRC Southwest, or West. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, known you for a little time now? A few years. A few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to you a lot at work about music, but I wanted to get your story about who you are before we get into a music podcast. Okay. And for the music podcast, I'd really like to talk about different whatever we get into, but that'd be on a different podcast. Okay. So this one's going to be all about you and your history. Um, like I said, I don't edit the conversation. I just let it go. Okay. Whatever you want to talk about. All right. And if you get quiet and you don't want to talk about something, we we'll, I'll change the subject. Okay. All right. So um, I'm an open book. I don't have a lot of, a lot of things <laughs> that I'm embarrassed to talk about. So. Yeah. So uh, what I like to do is I like to start from the beginning. Okay. All right. So what do you know where your mom was born? Uh, my mom was born in Ohio. I don't remember the town, uh-huh. to be honest, uh, at the moment. But she was born in the northwestern corner of Ohio. And uh, your dad? My dad was born um, in Indiana. Indiana? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure of the town yeah. on that either. And you were born where? I was born in Angola, Indiana, a little town in the very northeast corner of the state. Okay. Yeah. What is your earliest memory that you have? Oh, wow. Yeah. The earliest memory. Yep. That's that's a tough one. Yesterday? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, uh, I think what I had for dinner. <laughs> um, my earliest memory is I remember um, we lived on in a very small house in Angola. And I had, we had a dog, and the dog's name was Mickey. Mickey? Yeah, a little beagle. And I was probably five. You remember playing with the dog outside? And Well, I remember the dog getting attacked by the neighbor dog, a German shepherd. Oh. And Mickey had a big um, gouge out of his side. I mean, he ended up, we ended up having to put him down. Oh, because but I remember in the backyard being uh, a little uh, pretty upset about uh, about losing our dog Mickey. You didn't see the fight. I didn't see it. I okay. just heard it. We went running outside, and and the neighbor had broken up the fight, and I just remember pet sitting next to the dog, petting him and, and consoling him. But he, uh, yeah. We ended up having to put him down. I don't remember the details after that too much, though. But I, I'd say that's probably an early memory. I was probably five. And you, but you remember being sad. I'm sorry. You remember being sad. Oh yeah, I was. I was devastated. Yeah. Was, yeah. And 
around the same time, I have a, I don't know why I have a strange memory of this, but being in the front yard of the same house, it was a really small, small house, um, watching a blimp go by. And I was probably four or five at the time. Yeah. And over, you know. Um, Did you always play outside? I was always outside. Yeah, we were always outside. Yeah. Um, you and your brothers and sisters? I have a sister. You have a who's sister? three years younger than me. Okay. Yeah. I was born in 61, uh, February of 61, and she was born in, uh, in June of, of 64. Oh, okay. Yeah. You guys, only three years apart, you guys played with each other a lot? Yeah, we were close. We yeah. still are. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you guys were always outside playing with the neighbor's kids? or I, I don't have a lot of vivid memories of playing with her real young. Uh, I remember beating up on her a lot. <laughs> We still talk about that. Being the older I brother. remember when I got a little older, wanting to learn how to do kung fu and karate, and I used to practice moves on her. And she took and she took it pretty well. I can remember practicing flips. I'd grab her, you know, I said, I I'm, you know, I had a book. I had these books on, on kung fu and karate. I'm like, all right, I want, to, I want to learn how to do this front flip or whatever it was called. And I would grab her by the arm, and, and I would throw her on onto the, you know, we I threw onto the bed. Oh, okay. You know, I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to hurt her, so I, <laughs> I did take it easy on her. And I threw her on onto a bed, and she would just jump up laughing. She loved it. <laughs> I mean, because I'd flip her. Yeah. You know, or I do this side thing where you flip her on her side, and, and she'd jump up and do it again, do it again. <laughs> you know, oh, I was probably I don't know, eleven, twelve, maybe thirteen, and uh, learning karate from a book. Yeah, learning from a book. Yeah, it's when uh, the movie or the TV show Kung Fu mm -hmm. with David Carradine was was popular. Yeah, in the middle seventies, early seventies. So I was probably thirteen about the time. Yeah, and, uh, and he was real popular. So the whole Kung Fu thing was was the was the thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where, so, where did you get the books from? Oh God, I don't remember. Um, we, I remember subscribing, my parents subscribed to Boy's Life. Uh -huh. It was a catalog that came out once a month, I think. Um, and, and I think it was like an advertisement in there. Um, my parents ordered it for me, obviously. I, I didn't have a job. So yeah. I didn't pay for it. But they <laughs> you know, I, they, they knew I was interested in it and thought it was kind of cool. And they didn't have any problem with it. <laughs> so they, they ordered the books for me. What was elementary school like? What was it like? Yeah. Um, well, I went to elementary school in a little town called Pleasant Lake, because um, we moved out of uh, Angola, um, and we moved um, to a little town called Pleasant Lake. So I went from a town of about 4,000 to a town of about 400. Really? Maybe 600. And uh, yeah, Pleasant Lake was really small, but it was a, I mean, a very Norman Rockwell kind of setting Angola the whole area was very something out of a Norman Rockwell painting yeah you know it was uh I it was a small town I had about four or five friends who were great friends and uh we were always outside we were always down there was a there was a lake obviously it was a pleasant lake um the county I grew up in was called Steuben County and it was kind of known at least in the region for to be the the county of, uh, of 101 lakes. Okay. So there was 101 lakes in this one county. So lake life was the big thing. Fishing and boating and skiing and in the wintertime, ice skating. Um, it would freeze over. 
you know, the lake would freeze over because it wasn't a huge lake. And uh, but the winter time was cold. Winter times were very cold. It would yeah. it would freeze, and so we would uh, we would ice skate a lot. And actually became pretty good ice skater. Really, uh, my dad had snowmobiles, so we were riding snowmobiles all the time. Um, but grade school was small. It was a small one. Most about there was two stories, but it was a, it was a it wasn't a huge building. I mean, I. I don't know how to describe the dimensions of it, but I mean, it was like not even the size of uh, one of our hangers, mm -hmm. you know, at work. And uh, grades K through, uh, well, one through six, actually. I went in kindergarten, I went to Angola. But one through six, I went to uh, Pleasant Lake School. Um, I remember it being pretty, you know, strict school. You know, they still paddled you when you were bad okay you know we still got spankings yeah corporal punishment was not frowned upon back then <laughs> but the um, the school was small enough where they mixed all the grades together oh yeah yeah, yeah. well no 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 the one through one through six were in different classrooms we okay. didn't all we weren't in the same room no oh. no they had different the different grades would be in different rooms um but i mean my sixth grade class which was the only class um you know, they didn't have, like, three or four first-grade classes or two or three. You know, you had one first-grade, one. Because yeah. the town was so small, there wasn't that many kids in each class. So um, there was maybe 20 kids in my sixth-grade class. Yeah. Maybe 22, you know. So any, it, was, it was small. Any uh, teachers stood out to you? Um, yeah. Um, More so when I more so in middle school and up, in grade school, uh, we had one teacher. Her name was Mrs. McMillan, and she was very strict. I had terrible handwriting. Um, she'd put me out in the hallway to practice my handwriting for like hours because my handwriting sucked. It still does. <laughs> it still does. It never got any better. And uh, if I mean it's. Worse, actually, yeah, because I'm lazy now and I just want to get it done. So I write <laughs> fast. Um, she stood out. She was a real disciplinarian. Yeah. Um, not a lot of kids liked her. Not a lot of kids liked her. No, yeah. nobody liked her. Um, she's the one that stood out the most. Um, to be honest, I can't, I can't recall the rest of the names. <laughs> she was the only one that really stands out. Yeah. What about uh, middle school? Uh, middle school, I went to, we got bused to Angola, back to Angola. The town I lived in, Pleasant Lake, was about six miles from Angola. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we would take a bus, I would take a bus, you know, to, to Angola for school. Okay. And so you had a lot of kids in, the, in your school? A lot of kids in uh, the, the middle school? Yes. Well, again, you know, it was all small town stuff. The, the, the town had, Angola was maybe a town of 4,500, 5,000 people. Yeah. Um, but again, it's surrounded by a lot of communities, um, all the lakes. A lot, of, a lot of the friends that I made once I went to middle school um, were all lake people, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, 
they lived on the outskirts of Angola. Uh, I don't know. My, uh, I know my graduating class had about 72 people, kids Ooh. in it. I mean, that's not really, and again, that's, that's only one school. It's not like several, you know, classes. Yeah. You know, it was only one class, and that was, I don't, that's not that large compared to a lot of. No, not at all. Not at all, right? I mean, there's hundreds, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a small town boy for sure. So, in middle school with those, with that amount of kids, right? Mm-hmm. Was there a lot of posturing from any kids, or everybody just got along, or you know, I don't remember. I always got along with 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 everybody. Yeah, uh, um, pretty much my whole life, really. But um, I don't remember getting bullied. I didn't get bullied. Um, everybody was pretty laid back. Um, I don't recall bullying being a big thing. I mean, obviously, you know, kids will make snide remarks and and stuff, but I. I have nothing but fond memories of my childhood. I didn't get, you know, I didn't get picked on. Yeah. You know, I was always, I always fit in with the crowd. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I always talk about middle school where the kids have all these raging hormones everywhere. Yeah. And so yeah. they always have to posture up or try to become the alpha male. Well, I also remember in middle school I discovered weed. Ooh. Okay. So, this was late. I have I have nothing but foggy memories. This of, was in the late late seventies, huh? Late seventies? Uh, no, I graduated in seventy nine, so I would have gone to middle school around seventy four, seventy five. Mm-hmm. You know, high school freshman year would have started um, seventy nine, eight, about seventy six, right? Yeah. So my middle school days were seventy four, seventy three time frame. Okay. Yeah. And there, at that time, there wasn't a big emphasis on trying to stop drugs. Oh no, I would say there there was. was there? Yeah, I mean, not like nowadays. I mean, marijuana is so accepted, you know. And, you know, but parents do it now. You know, <laughs> my parents didn't do it back then. And when the when I the first time I got um, caught doing it, or it was discovered. That I was doing it, it was like the end of the world, you know. It was by who? By well, by by my parents. Oh, both of them. Oh, well, my, you want to know the story of how I first got busted? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> um, I don't know. I was probably sixteen, fifteen, and uh, my mom. Yes, my mom used to clean my room, <laughs> and uh, she had, and, and I had a a bag of weed um, that I stored under, under the bedpost, you know, the, the little ledge under the bed yeah. by the leg, you know, where the leg joints together. Yeah. There's a little little piece of wood there that joins them together. That's where I kept my weed. She had to move the bed to, to sweep it, right? And so she moved the bed, swept, and out comes this big old baggie of, of weed. <laughs> and I got... Um, Call to the principal's office, um, just to let you know your your mother's coming to pick you up. Oh, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I had no idea, you know, why. I thought maybe some somebody was sick or something happened. And we get in the car and it was dead silence for six miles. You know, I'm like, what's what's going on? You'll find out. And I get home. My dad's sitting on the kitchen table. 
And uh, there was the bag of weeds sitting right in front of him. And as soon as I walk in, he throws it at me, hits me in the chest with it. <laughs> what can I can I swear? All you what want. the fuck is this? <laughs> and uh, well, back then they your parents didn't swear a lot, right? No, my dad did. Oh, okay. oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. No, no, they <laughs> they swore. Yeah, so did my mom. <laughs> so did my mom. No, they swore. Uh, uh, so you know, I'm stunned. I'm like, I have no idea what to say. You know. Uh, because obviously he knows what it is. Yeah. And he wanted to know where I got it, and I wouldn't tell him. It's the one and only time in my life that my dad hit me with a closed fist. Ooh. And he, and he didn't hit me in the face. He hit me in the chest because he got mad, you know, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell him, you know, where I got it. And, uh, and by no stretch was my dad an abusive guy. I mean, he was just so pissed off that... This, that happened. That was the one and only time he ever hit me with a, with, with a closed fist in the chest. Knocked me back. And uh, I, don't know, I was grounded and, you know. So. Not allowed to do things. Yeah. Not allowed to go anywhere. And it sucked because I was, all my friends, because I had new friends. Once I moved to Angola, um, I, I made new friends. Mm-hmm. And they all, you know, lived you know, six, seven miles away, so I couldn't get, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't even leave the house for a mm-hmm. while, so. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's my. And that was in high school? That was early high, maybe, maybe seventh or eighth grade. Because mm. I, I started it when I was, I think, seventh grade. In seventh grade? Yeah. Okay. Roughly, yeah. And you kept going? Kept doing it? Oh, all the way through school, sure. <laughs> they just never found out. Huh? They just never found that out. I kept doing it. Yeah. Oh no, no, they they knew they they knew they knew. <laughs> I mean, I'd come home from parties, eyes blazing red, and you could smell it, and um, yeah. No, they knew. <laughs> there was there was no disguising it. No. A lot of kids doing it back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, at least my friends. Yeah. I hung out in that crowd. <laughs> the stoner uh, crowd. The stoner crowd. Yeah. That's where the cool kids were. Yeah. All the cool kids were stoners. And I was kind of a jock for a while, too. I played football, and I played golf and tennis. You, you had golf so in I school? Was, yeah, we had a golf team. Yeah. And I played, I played golf all the way up through, well, through my senior year. Okay. Yeah. And so you're in high school. Mm-hmm. How'd you like school? Um, I had a good time. Yeah? It Academics? Was, it was party. I was average. Average. I was an average guy. I... I Good enough to graduate, yeah, you know, and good enough to join the Navy. Okay, you know, but uh, yeah, I graduated in '79, and uh, yeah, my grades were average. I wasn't, I, I didn't try hard. Yeah, I didn't care. My dad would get mad at me, and he said, "All you give a shit about is where you're going to get your next joint." <laughs> and I'm like, "Would you kind of true?" Yeah, yeah, you kind of true, Dad. <laughs> Did you ever work in high school? I worked. Yeah, yeah, I worked for my dad actually. Um, he. Uh, he owned a gas station, uh, so I used to go with him when I was a kid. I was pretty close with my dad. I mean, the whole, you know, pot thing, you know, definitely tainted some of my later years. But I was pretty, I was really close with my dad. I mean, I still am. Yeah. And uh, he would take me to work with him. He had uh, a gas station and a repair shop. Um, 
uh, in town. So I would help him. He would take me to work with him. I'd sweep the drive. I'd help pump gas. He would show me how to change oil, how to change spark plugs, you know, in the old days when you would do that. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely worked. And then uh, then he, he had a second job. He drove a bread truck. Um, he was always pretty ambitious. He always wanted to bring in some money. The bread route actually made him some pretty good money. Did it? Oh, yeah. Um during that time frame, he ended up buying um, a cottage on another lake. Um, so I had a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of lake on a bigger lake, so we could we could ski and all kinds of boating activities when we were young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I would he would take me to to work. He would take me on his bread route, and that that probably instilled some work ethic that still is valuable to this day because he used to get my ass up at four o'clock four thirty in the morning because he'd have to go to um restaurants to deliver bread um um uh, what was the bread Folsom no not Sunbeam it was the other one I want to say Folsom bread but uh, I might not be right so the bread wrap yeah whatever the brand was it doesn't matter He'd pick it up from a company and he'd take it around. Yeah, he would go to a warehouse and he would have the orders from the previous day because when he would do a delivery, the the, the wherever whether it was a restaurant or a store or whatever, um, they would give him the order for the next day and he would load up and he would give he would holler up to me what to what to put on the racks and you know because this this place wanted this so I'd have to fill up a rack with this and then the next you know yeah um, and it was. I wouldn't say it was tough work, but it was, uh, he, I had to get up early and, uh, move fast. He, huh? And move fast. And move fast. Yeah. 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 But, uh, it was a, it was a great experience. You know, every place we went, um, we probably had 40 stops throughout the day. We'd start the first stop at, at a restaurant, um, about six, shit, five thirty in the morning. That way they'd have their dinner rolls and all their, their bread for the day. And they got to know me and, you know. Yeah. They were always cool to me. Uh, I had a lot of good memories from that. Nice. And then uh, I worked at a golf course um, for a while. As a caddy? No. No, green, I worked with the, with the greenskeepers. Oh. I would uh, help with mowing fairways, mowing greens, raking sand traps, just general watering. Um, um, just general groundskeeping kind of stuff. At, at the golf course. Most of your friends have jobs? Um, most of them had jobs that I can remember, yeah. Yeah. Rest, you know, I also uh, worked at a at a fast food restaurant when I was probably 17. A local fast food place. Yeah. Uh, called Penguin Point. Penguin Point? Yeah. Burgers. For two years, dogs. all my girlfriends came out of Penguin Point. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite waitresses or cooks at the, yeah. at the restaurant. So my my whole love life was was centered around French fries and fried chicken. Oh, okay. <laughs> and pretty good food. It was all right. It was like a McDonald's and a KFC combined. Could we serve chicken, fried chicken, and burgers and fries and all that good stuff? Yeah. And it was Indiana, so a big, the big a big food in Indiana was called was a tenderloin. A tenderloin. Yeah, it's like a... And to be honest, I'm not even sure what the meat was. It's some kind of steak, 
cheap steak that's pounded and really pounded into a big flat, you know, disc and then deep fried. And it was really good. But uh, to be honest, I can't remember what was really in it. Probably pork. Probably pork. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was good. But I was a burger guy. Yeah. 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 Still am. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> <laughs> so you get through high school. Okay. And after high school, what are you doing? For a year, I'm doing nothing but a bum. Really? Yeah. For a year, I... I uh, Working? I worked. I was always working. Yeah. I had a job at a factory. Um, I got... But... What kind got, of factory? I got fired from every place I ever worked <laughs> until I joined the Navy. <laughs> I got you? fired from every place. I got fired from the golf course. I, and I would have got fired from my dad if I wasn't have been his son. <laughs> but cause what I, were I used, some of I the mean, reasons? I'm not proud of any of it, and we joke about it now, I mean, even me and my dad. But, I mean, I, I used to steal money out of the cash register. I used to give my friends free oil changes. They'd bring their car in. I would give them... Packs of cigarettes, you know, uh, out of the, out of the cigarette machine. Um, yeah, I was a I was a shithead when I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, I didn't do anything. I wasn't like a criminal kid, but I was just a I was a shitty son. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm, I uh, I would have been fired by him if uh, it wasn't his son. But I got fired from the golf course. I ended up getting fired from from that restaurant, uh, Penguin Point. Would you get fired out of there for? Um, I got fired from Penguin Point because uh, I used to, they, they paid extra money for mopping the floors after closing. And I used to always, anyway, I, I would always make extra chicken when I worked, like say I worked a Friday night and I would always make extra chicken at, near the end of the night knowing yeah. it was going to get wasted. Yeah. So I would take bags of chicken to, to whatever where I was going to go party with uh. my friends. And so they, they, they loved me. I would, I'd show up with food and I would always want to do the floors because and it was, I mean, I look back now and it's like shit for money, but it was seven bucks if, to mop the floors. You got an extra, if you stay late and mop the floors, you got an extra $7. Yeah. And I mean, it's 1978. That was, a, I guess that was, you know, it's a, a, big, lot of money. a big deal. Yeah. And, uh, you could get a, so, a couple beers with that at least. Yeah. 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 You can buy a few things with that. Um, I bought weed. Yeah. <laughs> I would buy weed with that. But I I took some friends with me one night. I said, come on, come with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do floors tonight. I actually called the restaurant. We were at a party, and I called the restaurant, and I asked the guy who was running. Usually the guy, because I wasn't working that night. I was at the party. Uh, we, were all, we were all getting messed up. And I called the guy that was working, and I asked him, hey, you mind if I do floors tonight? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. So I came in. And everybody left, and I stayed, did the floors, and I, I, I told my friends, wait for about 15 minutes, and then come back, and I'll, I'll bring you in, and I'll, I'll make some food for you all. And then, so they came in, um, like I said, it was dark, it was like 11 o'clock at night, everybody was gone, and I brought them in, and I couldn't fire up the grill, because the grill gets cleaned, and, yeah. and the, far, the fryers and everything, but... We served, also served ham and cheese and roast beef sandwiches, microwave. So I, I threw a bunch of sandwiches in the microwaves. And we were in the lobby getting high. And then I went in and made the food. And I was taking the food out of the microwaves. And I yelled out, your order's up. 
<laughs> and as soon as I said that, I looked out, and her name was Ruby Ray. Short little fireball of a, of a lady. Yeah. Probably, I don't know. Well, back then, I thought she was 80. The owner? She was, probably, she was the manager. Oh, the manager. She had been working that night. And she came back because she saw lights on. Ah. Uh. And she... Because she had gone uptown and then came back and drove by and saw lights, so she came in, walked in. I had weed. We had weed in the you know it was booths yeah. all around the, the the inside of the restaurant. We had booths set up, and so they were. My friends were sitting at the booth, packing a bowl, getting ready to fire up the next bowl, and and I yelled out, "Orders up!" And I, I like, "Oh, hi, Ruby," and she's like. What the hell are you all these guys doing here? Are your friends doing in here? And and uh, she was just pissed. Yeah. Get them the out now. And I, I don't remember what all she said. I was really wasted. And uh, get them out now and this and that. And you know I'm gonna have to tell Steve tomorrow. Steve Palermo was his name. He was the owner of the restaurant. And uh, I'm gonna have to tell Steve. And I'm like no, I understand. And so everybody left, and I got a call the next morning. You're fired. <laughs> I talked to Steve. You're fired. I kind of expected that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was, I don't know, around 78, 70. I was still, I, I don't remember if I was graduated yet or not. I, I don't think I was. So I was around 78 or 9 Yeah. when that happened. Yeah. And so you get through high school, you do your year of bullshitting around, and then you join the Navy. Yeah, I, I moved out, and um, I, no, I, I, I had moved out. I, I had already graduated when this happened, because that was the last straw before I, before I joined the Navy, when I got fired at Penguin Point. So I had graduated, had moved out, I was living with a friend, um, Johnny Smith was his name, and we had a little shithole apartment, partying all the time, doing nothing, working at this restaurant. I had already gotten fired from, from the factory, and I got fired from the golf course. What kind of factory? Um, fuck, I don't remember what we made, to be honest. Mm. I don't remember what we made. I was only there for not even a year. And in that town, it was a place where you, you know, everybody, the big thing in that town was to get out of stores and restaurants and work in the factory. Really? Yeah. Everybody Every wanted people, to yeah, work. Yeah, the because they, they paid the best. Yeah. Um, so I was still on probation, 90 day probation. when. Uh, so yeah, I wasn't even there a year. I was only there for like less than 90 days. And I got canned. I think I called out too many times or something. Oh. Okay. Uh, but actually, I called out for a concert. Ario <laughs> Speedwagon, as a matter of fact. I remember, now I remember it. Did you I, see a lot of uh, concerts when you were in school? Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, went to, I went to every show I could go to. Yeah. That I could afford to go to. Yeah. And uh, you joined the Navy. So then I, so I, get, I get canned. But I moved in with my friend. I, when I got fired, here's what happened. When I got fired from the factory, um, I didn't have any you know, income, so I couldn't afford to live with Johnny anymore. So I moved back in with my parents. And I went back to work 
at Penguin Point. Then I got fired from Penguin Point, and my dad um, tells me, you're, you're, you're out of here. Um, I've had enough. You either join, join the military, I don't care what you do, but you're out of this house. And uh, I'm like, ooh. And he was, and he meant it. So I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? Um, and it came to me really fast that I had a good friend from high school. His name was Danny Ritter. And Danny had joined the Navy. And, well, he was on the delayed entry program, so he hadn't actually gone in yet. So I called him up like the next day or two, and I said, Danny, hook me up with your, uh, your recruiter because I'm going to join the Navy. I got nothing else to do. This town, the, the town was a dead-end town, and uh, I'm like, screw it. I need to do something. So, Why the Navy? Um, it just sounded right. Mm. I, I wasn't a, uh, the Marines didn't interest me. You know, I'm not a grunt kind of guy. No. You know, um, and the Navy just sounded exciting. Yeah. You know, travel, see the world, and and I did. Yeah. I, I uh, within a week of my dad telling me you're getting the fuck out of this house and leaving for Indianapolis for the uh, the AP Center, because um, then I went there for processing and then Great Lakes for boot camp mm-hmm. was a week, a little over a week. So Thanksgiving Day, uh, 1980, um, I left for boot camp. Okay. Thanksgiving Day, yeah. Wow. And I had been up all night the night before with my friends partying. <laughs> all night long. I wish I had my picture to show you, but I, there's a picture of me with my mom and everybody at my grand. We, we, then we, and Thanksgiving was always at my grandmother's and grandpa's house. Um, and that's where we went. And... Uh, there's a picture of me with my mom, my sister, and I'm all. <laughs> I look, I look like I was completely out of it because I was. Uh, I'd been up all night, but yeah, they put me on a bus at Fort Wayne, Indiana, to go to Indianapolis, where I spent the night there, and then the next morning, um, bust up to Chicago for uh, to Great Lakes for boot camp. Yep. Yep. And uh, did you, when you talked to your recruiter, was he? Did he give you a job, or did he? Did you pick your MOS? Yeah, no, I, I, and I, I was smart enough to know that I didn't want to just go in and be undesignated, you know. So when I went to, uh, you know, so I, I called the guy. He took me down to Indianapolis for um, all the all the, you know, all the processing at first, uh, you know, before I left. When I first decided I'm joining, what do you want to do? Went to Indianapolis, um, and I don't remember, looked through a catalog, I think, of all the different rates. What do you want to do? And aviation just sounded interesting to me. It wasn't something I was, that I was into as a kid, mm-hmm. you know? I wasn't, a, you know, I wasn't into aviation as a kid, but um, it just sounded interesting. And as far as the different jobs aviation electrician just sounded like a decent job to get into okay and i thought you know it sounded interesting and uh and maybe subliminally i was thinking of long term something i can do long term you know because you know being an ordinance man didn't sound 
long term to me. Okay, handle bombs. Well, what am I going to do when I get out? Yeah, I'm going to continue handling bombs. You know, <laughs> um, structural mechanics and hydraulics me- uh, mechanics and all that. That's that sounded uh, good too. So it was kind of one of those jobs. Um, but uh, so yeah, that's why that's why how I became an electrician. Okay, aviation type. Boot camp. Did you like it? Well, no. Who <laughs> <laughs> likes boot camp? <laughs> Fuck no, I hated it. Well, so, you know, that's where I got bullied. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's my first taste of actual no shit bullying. I didn't get it when I was a kid. No. But I got not not to where I was scarred bullying, but I got picked on in boot camp because <laughs> they shaved my head. I had long, a fairly long hair. And I shaved my head, and I didn't really realize how pointed my head is. <laughs> I'm like, it kind of comes to a little point. Yeah. And uh, so I, I heard Eggman, Bullethead, you know, comments all the time. I, I sit at, 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 I have some vivid memories of sitting at the um, dining room table, dining table in the mess hall, and this guy was relentless. And he came up behind me and he would grab my head and he, he would rub my rub my scalp and go, I am the egg man. <laughs> <laughs> you are the egg man. <laughs> and I I mean I took it well. It was all, you know, fun, but um kind of fun. But that's that was my first taste of bullying. <laughs> um but I did pretty good in boot camp. I ended up getting a meritorious uh, advancement out of it. Um, to E3 from, yeah. you know, from E1 to E3 right off the bat. Um, to be honest, I was surprised because I didn't realize that I was doing pretty well at it. Um, but I guess I did. Uh, academically, I always did pretty well. I, uh, I got really sick in boot camp. I had strep throat and I almost had to get set back. Um, That's the worst fear of going through boot camp, right, is... Having to go through all that process and then getting set back. And then get set back. That was my yeah. biggest fear. I thought that was going to happen because I got really sick. I mean, really sick. It was, uh, and it was only a couple of weeks left. And we were in Great Lakes in the middle of winter. Remember, I left November 25th. Oh, yeah. And we're talking January time frame yeah. in Great Lakes. And it was, no kidding, 55 below zero windshield factor. During a, a, a certain, there was a, a one week period where, uh, yeah, we had a major storm go through and it was uh, 55 below zero. Yeah. And I got really sick, strep throat, something terrible, didn't eat for, for a day or two, passed out. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I and lost shitload of weight. And in boot camp, when it's that cold, they don't have you do anything outside, do they? No, we, we did most of our stuff inside. All of our drilling and everything was inside. Yeah. yeah, they don't want you outside. And when we did go outside, no kidding, the uniform of the day was your hands in your pocket. You know, we had peak, you know, the pea coats and, yeah. and, and, and you know, ski masks and gloves and, you know, all the thick socks and, and boots. And, and the uniform of the day was putting your hands in your pocket. Okay. It was so cold. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. I've never... My whole life, that's the coldest I'd ever, I've ever felt. You know, you're getting that icy cold wind off and the, the lake. And the wind chill, right? Off the lake. Yeah. And, yeah. Where's your uh, first uh, duty station at? 
Did they give um, you a wish at, list? Um, after well, my first station was uh, actually Memphis, going to A school. Okay. When it, you know, I'd, um, I, I, had, I had got designated or I got selected to be an electrician, aviation electrician. So the A school was in uh, was in Memphis, Millington, Tennessee. So I went there and did did school, and then my first actual, and then you got. Depending on your class, your class standing, you got to pick your uh, your duty stations, mm. and uh, that was where I had my first taste of success, of real success. Because all my whole life, I I you know I just kind of trudged through life. I you know I wasn't a failure, you know, but I wasn't great in school. All I was all I cared about was partying, and you know my dad, you know all I care about is where you're going to get your next joint and where's the next party. I'm like yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're right. But I was starting to grow up a little bit, and uh, I I was I took the schooling serious, and I was the class leader. I graduated top of my class. Okay. And uh, man, I was like, wow, I've never been top of anything. <laughs> you know, it's kind of cool. You've been on top of something. Yeah, I've been on top of shit, but not <laughs> not, not academics. Um, so I got first pick, and I picked Jacksonville, Florida, Cecilfield, actually, to be exact. Mm-hmm. Florida sounded fun, you know. Jacksonville sounded fun. I had been to Daytona. That was where our uh, senior trip was. Was oh, Daytona? Okay. So I'm like, I had a great time in Daytona Beach. Yeah. So I'm like, well, that sounds Jacksonville sounds fun. So that was my first duty station. And that's uh, considered shore duty. That was shore duty. Yeah. And so no, sorry, no. No, I was on sea duty. Oh, my first tour was sea duty. Okay. I, my, you know, I went to school, and then I went to a, a squadron in uh, Cecilfield, VA one hundred five gunslingers, and you know it was uh, it was it was sea duty. Okay. My first deployment in the Navy was uh, nineteen eighty two, on the John F Kennedy. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I spent a lot of time on board ship. Um, during that time or throughout my whole career? No, during that time. During that time, we did, yeah. Yeah, we made several detachments. Um, at first, I did a six-month deployment in, like I said, 1982 on the John F. Kennedy. And then we came back, made a bunch of debts. And then in 1983, um, I made a eight-month deployment on the Carl Vinson. Mm-hmm. Um, it made its first deployment. Um, did you guys go anywhere cool? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Went to... Every we went to PI. Ah, okay. Went to, went to Subic Bay. Yeah. PI. Probably shouldn't talk about my memories <laughs> of that place, but <laughs> a lot of fun there. Um, went to Patia Beach, Thailand. A lot of fun there. Australia, mm-hmm. Perth, Australia. Yeah. A lot of fun there. Yeah. My very first port visit though was uh, was Malaga, Spain. Spain. Yeah. Oh, on the Kennedy. Yeah, because we did a uh, we went we did a uh, a med we didn't spend a lot of time in the Mediterranean. We just went to two ports there, went to uh, Malaga and Toulon, France, mm. and then we went through the Suez Canal and went into the Indian Ocean, went down and hit um, Perth, Australia, and then came back, went back through the Suez Canal the other way. And we were supposed to go to uh, Haifa, Israel, and Izmir, Turkey, 
But during that time frame, they all went to war with each other, and we had to stay off off station for a while. Mm. And then, uh, and then my last port on that cruise was back to Malaga. So the first on that that on that six month deployment, first the first stop was Malaga, and the last stop was Malaga. The first stop was in January, and it was cold as hell and rainy. And then coming back was in the middle of summer, and. Uh, and it was sunny and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great time. How'd you like the port? Oh, I loved it. Yeah? And I was fairly adventurous, so I always wanted to uh, see things. I I didn't want to just see the bottom of a glut, you know, a bottle of, of alcohol, you know, <laughs> which I saw plenty of that as well. But I always try to make it a point of every port to take a tour of something. Yeah. And so when we went to Malaga... Um, I didn't do that the first time we went when we went there the first time, and I was like, I should probably see something. Yeah. You know, I wanted I joined the navy to see the world, so a bar's a bar. You know, why not? <laughs> look the same get everywhere in the bar world. And go actually take a tour. So the, the ships always had uh, their special services and recreation committees always had sponsored tours to, to you know places. So my first. Naval experience as far as doing a tour was in uh, when we went to Malaga. I went to Granada, Spain, and went to uh, this place called the Alhambra. And it's a 15th century Moorish palace mm. uh, that was big back in, you know, hundreds of years ago. It was, a, a, you know, because the Moors had occupied Spain for years. And that was like their big palace. Yeah. And so I went and visited that, and that was really cool. It was really cool, and it, that place actually had significance that at the time I didn't I didn't realize until later when I became a guitarist and and, and into music. Um, one of my idols for classical guitar was uh, Andre Segovia, and he spent hours and hours and hours at the Alhambra, and there was pieces of music written. That were inspired by the Alhambra. Oh, okay. so at the time when I went there, I, it didn't mean anything to me because I was just a party, you know, punk twenty-year-old, <laughs> you know. But I, but at least you know, I had the sense um, to balance the partying with um, actually seeing some some of the world. Adventure. Yeah, get out there and adventure a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was really disappointed when we went when we came, when we left Perth because Perth I didn't do any tours because. That's a party place. <laughs> I didn't care about touring there. I was, that was just, that was where you want to hit the bars. Yeah. Because that's where the, you know, the people are just, they're very, they loved Americans and uh, it was just fun. Yeah. Um, but coming back, when we were going to, to Haifa, Israel, I had bought a tour, um, tour tickets to go to uh, several places that were biblical. Mm. You know, we were going to go to, uh, I was going to take a trip to Bethlehem. We were going to go to the Weeping Wall and the Gardens of Gethsemane and all these biblical places. I was never really a super religious guy, but you know, I grew up in a in a Christian family and church going and all that. So I, you know, it was significant to go there. Yeah, but we couldn't go because of the war between Israel and. Uh, uh, Lebanon. Mm. So we, we weren't able to go there. But I was, and, and in Izmir, Turkey, I had some uh, 
I don't, I don't remember where I was supposed to go, but there was something really cool that I was going to do in Turkey as well. Yeah. But I didn't get to do it. So, <sighs> so that was that's my that was my introduction into the Navy. Yeah. And then you get on to the new ship. The Vincent? The Vincent, the Carl yeah. Vincent. Right? Yeah, Carl Vincent, 1983, I want to say February or March. Was it just like every other ship, or...? I only had one ship to compare it to. Oh. Um, the Kennedy. That mm-hmm. was my first ship, but uh, it was brand new. So, and it was a nuclear carrier, and Kennedy oh. was conventional. Yeah. So, we were on a nuke. Uh, everything was newer. Um, so, I wouldn't say it was... Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, a, I mean, I, it's hard to say a ship was nice. <laughs> None of them were nice. They all suck. But, yeah. um, you know, everything was cleaner and it was newer. Yeah. And bigger, a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got around and then moved around a lot in the Navy, staying in the same rate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did, uh. I did three and a half, almost four years in 151. Then I went to Memphis, back to Memphis. And during, during my first tour in the Navy, I got married when, okay. I, first, when I first got married. Um, and got orders to uh, Memphis to go to school again for an advanced electronic school. And then I got orders from there. Um, again, I had another taste of success because I graduated. I was the top of my class in the... In, in C school. Mm. And that was even a bigger deal because that was like a no shit like a college. Yeah. Because it was advanced electronics and it was, uh, you know, when you go to college, take college classes, it's a couple hours a week. This was five days a week, eight hours a day of school. Yeah. It was intense. It yeah. was really intense. And we did that for eight or seven or eight months. Um, and I was the top guy in that class. So I felt, you know, I felt pretty good about it. Where did you uh, end up meeting your wife? Um, I met my wife when I was on leave, and my uh, my first wife. Yes. Um, my aunt and uncle set me up. Did they? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you met. Where did you meet your first wife? Okay, my first wife. I was on. Uh, I was on leave. August of 1983, back uh, back home in Indiana, and my aunt and uncle had a friend who was a neighbor. Uh, her name is Karen, and they invited me over for for we had we had a, a barbecue at my at my parents' cottage at the cottage on this on this lake. Yeah, and they invited me over afterwards um, to play some cards and. And have some drinks. So I'm like, okay, sounds fun. And I get there, and Karen's there. Mm. And so, oh, Tony, this is Karen. You know, so it was a total setup. Um, we hit it off greatly. Talked all night long. Um, and then a couple of days later, I went back to Florida, and we, I, you know, we talked on the phone like every day. I wrote her letters, and and uh, and. We fell in love. Okay, so that's that's how that's where we uh, that's where we met. Yeah. yeah. Any uh, children with her? Uh, one. One. I have I have one son named Justin. Justin. He lives in Oklahoma, where his mom lives. Okay. So, but we were married for uh, we got married in eighty three, mm-hmm. 
same year. Um, actually, things moved pretty fast. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the timeline. Was it 83 that we met or was it 82? No, 82, I was on the deployment, so 83. Um, and we got married in December. Somehow my my timeline's not lining up, though. So it's a long time ago. So Because we, we dated for about almost a year, so it must have been 82 that I met her. Mm. Um, yeah, it must have been 80, 82 that I met her. And uh, and then the following year, 83, December, after the eight-month deployment on the Vinson, uh, we got married. Because we were dating the whole time I was on the Vinson. So yeah. she was aware that you were going around with the Navy doing... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, we met while I was in the Navy and, and uh, between deployments. Yeah. So, yeah. And so you're bouncing around from squadron to squadron. You're working on aircraft? Well, I wasn't really bouncing around from squadron to squadron. Mm -hmm. I was... Uh, no, I mean, like, on your different tours. Oh, well, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... I um, to give you a quick little synopsis of my Navy career, it was um, VA-105 um, from 81 till 84, end of 84. 85 to 86, I was in sea uh, school in Memphis. And then in uh, October, September of 86, I went to uh, VA-125. VFA uh, that was shore duty. My VA-105 tour was was sea duty, and then I had sea school, and then I went to instructor school because I got, when I graduated sea school, I was at the top of my class. I had first pick of orders. I picked Lamore. Did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I only picked Lamore because my parents lived out here. Oh, okay. My parents had moved. While I was in school in Memphis in 85, my, my mom got transferred from in, within her company to uh, San Francisco, actually. Oh. And my dad um, moved as well, obviously. And uh, he got a, a new job out here within his company. Mm. And I wanted to follow them. I wanted to keep the family together. My sister went with them. So I wanted, you know, I wanted to stay close to my family. Yeah. So Lamore was, three, you know, three hours away from where they were at. Um, so that's what, that's what got me to Lemoore. Um, then I did three years of shore duty at 125 as a FRAMP instructor. FRAMP was uh, Fleet Replacement Aviation Maintenance Program. Okay. We taught maintainers. You know, when you go through A school, you become an electrician. Generic. Yeah. When you go to FRAMP, and they don't have, they're not called FRAMP anymore. I don't even... In fact, I'm not even sure what they call them anymore. But um, you would go to FRAMP to learn your specific platform. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, A7. My first tour was an A7. So I went to an A7 FRAMP um, to learn the A7. Yeah. And then I left A7s because that's what VA-105 was, was uh, A7s. Okay. And then uh, they were getting phased out and getting replaced by the F-18. And... So I came to uh, Lemoore to teach FRAMP uh, and new students the F-18. Okay. Even though I had never touched the airplane. <laughs> it was all academic. I'm just 
you know, PowerPoint presentations, and this is what it looks like. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what happens when this happens? I don't know. I never touched it. <laughs> I've I never, never done that before. It. I never worked on it, but I'm teaching you. <laughs> That's how the Navy works. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a good tour. It was a, it was a, it was a great tour. I, I did well at it, and uh, and I'm, again, I, I think I acquired some characteristic characteristics and some skills that's carried on throughout. You know, I don't. I'm not afraid to speak in public mm. anymore. You know, before I mean, people's net, number one fear is either death, taxes, or speaking in public. Yeah. You know, I'm. I'm not. I mean, I still get nervous, you know, if I have to make any, do, do any kind of talking in front of people, but um, I can hide it better now. Yeah. I can hide it well. Yeah. Because even when I do interviews, you know, they're like, you seem pretty calm. So, yeah, inside I was a mess. <laughs> I just know how to hide it. But, so that was a good tour. And then, uh, and then when I left there in 89, I went to the, the USS Ranger down in San Diego because I wanted to I wanted to get out of Lamar. Mm. You know, we wanted to see something else, so we wanted to go to San Diego. So I got orders to uh, ship's company on the USS Ranger, and that wasn't my favorite tour uh, in the world. No, no, nah, because Ranger was a smaller boat. No, not, not so much that. It was a conventional carrier, kind of in the same class as a as a Kennedy. Okay, but it's it was eye level. Uh, I'm a squadron guy. I'd always been more of an O level squadron kind of guy, and I level wasn't really my wasn't my bag, baby. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I mean, I made some great friends there, and you know, I had a good time. Saw you know some good. I did a couple uh, cruises with them mm-hmm. with that ship, um, but I, I missed being in a squadron. There's there's a sense of. Uh, Community and camaraderie and you cohesiveness that you feel in a squadron. I level and ship's company especially. Everybody's all over the place. Yeah, and it wasn't. It was parts parts of it I, I really liked, and parts of it I did not like at all. I mean, every five days I had to spend twenty four hours on the ship, even when you're in port, because uh, duty when you're on duty, you're on duty, it's yeah. five section duty. And it's 24-hour duty, and you're on the boat all night long, you know. And I didn't dig that too much. but So anyway, I, I uh, got orders from there back to Lemoore in 1992. Um, to Back to VFA 125, actually. Mm. Um, what month was that? That would have been uh, August. Yeah, August of, of uh, 92. I left. So you were in San Diego when the 92 riots happened? April 1992? I don't recall that. Oh. I might have been deployed. Oh, yeah. yeah. I might have been deployed because I did, I did a couple of deployments and I, I was on a deployment up till a couple months. So I would have been deployed. I don't, I don't recall the riots. And, uh, was the Rodney King thing? In LA? From, Ro- from Rodney King? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't down there when that happened. Mm. You, you're talking about the, yeah, the yeah, reaction to the, to the Rodney King beating and the verdicts or something, right? Yeah. There was, if I recall, it was a long time ago. Um, no, where was I when that happened? I, I, to be honest, I don't remember. Yeah. 
Um, if it was April of '92, I would have been I would have been deployed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you get stationed up here in Lemoore. Yeah, came back to Lemoore in '92. And you continued in a squadron. Yeah. Doing I went, I went 18s. To, I went to VFA-125. I've been 18s ever since my first tour in the Navy with A-7s. No. The only platform I've ever worked on is, uh, is the F-18. Okay. Yep. Um, 125, not as an instructor, but the second time, um, was working in the, uh, they call it FRAMP and Hardcore. So I, I worked in the Hardcore side, oh. which was uh, not the instructor's. You know, yeah. Worked in the shop as an electrician. Yeah. You know, good times. Uh, a blur, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it was fine. Nothing. I don't have any fond memories or bad memories of my time there. It developed me as a technician. Yeah. You know, because I worked, I worked mid crew for a while with a guy named Daryl Storley. I thought you were going to say strawberry. <laughs> uh, I, was trying to, I was trying to recall. Storley. It's Storley. One of the best uh, uh, electricians I'd ever worked with. Oh, really? Yeah. Great electrician. Really smart. And another guy. Um, oh, that shit what was his name. Um, I, I can't recall his name now. But we, we, and we actually became good friends. But... Uh, um, Two really good technicians that I learned a lot from. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Do you see uh, a difference in the camaraderie from shore duty versus being deployed or sea duty? Yeah. In units that, that do that? I did back then. Did absolutely. You? Yeah. Um, in, the, in a squadron, you know, in a seagoing squadron... You know, you live and breathe with each other. Yeah. You know, you're in a shop that's no bigger than this garage. Yeah. You know, full of gear, just like most well, like the garages. <laughs> you know, full of gear and and you get called, you know, and you and that roof right there is actually the flight deck. Yeah. You know, it's it's not another, you know, room up there, it's the flight deck. You know, and jets are pounding on right over your head and you know, and you get called on the run to go fix something or um, you know, and you work together as a team and you're, um, yeah, absolutely. And you party together and, um, sleep together, not sleep, you know, sleep together, <laughs> but sleep in the same, not have you sex. Know? You got three racks and, you know, guys on top of you and guys beside you and, you know, 20 guys in the shower when you're trying to take, you know, it's. You know, you just live and breathe together. Yeah. So, and then short duty, everybody goes home. You know, you get done with your job, eight hours a day, maybe ten, and uh, and go home to your wife. Yeah. 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 Definitely a big difference. I miss those. I miss the the those early days, squadron days. Mm. Yeah. Did uh, the Navy was the Navy the reason why you guys got divorced in the first place? Um, no, I don't think the Navy was the re. No, no, the Navy wasn't the reason. No. We were just, we, we were, uh, became two different people's interests were different. Um, I probably got married too soon. You know, I was living alone in the barracks, you know, I mean, I had roommates and stuff and all that. And I, 
And I became enamored, I think, with the idea. You know, I'm 23 years old and, and 22, 23, and it's time to think about, you know, settling down and all that. And I met a girl that I absolutely fell in love with, you know. I wrote her poems and, <laughs> you know, I, but I was young and full of verve, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I've always thought of myself as a fairly creative guy. And, uh, yeah, I used to write her poems and. Um, but once life set, settles in and, um, our, our, our personalities were completely different or became different, you know, um, I discovered guitar and I became really my, my maybe later in life infatuation with music really took a hold then. Really? Oh yeah. And that happened in the Navy? Yeah. 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 I first, the first time I, I learned how to play guitar um, was around, it was on that deployment on the Nimitz or on the uh, the uh, Vincent. Okay. Uh, there was two guys in the shop that were guitar players. One guy's name was Brian Finley. Um, but you wanted to talk about my, my music stuff later. I mean, it's, talk it's, about an it integral, now. it's an integral part of my. I mean, it was part of your Navy career, yeah. right? So. Yeah. Um, I can go into more details, you know, I guess on our next podcast. <laughs> but uh, Brian Finley and Bill Stenner. Okay. Bill Stenner had a great voice and, could, and was a strummer. Could play, you know, could play songs. And, and he was like a walking jukebox. No. And Brian Finley was, was just an outstanding player. He didn't really sing, but he could play really well. And the two of them would do songs in the shop. And I would just sit there and listen to them. And I'm like... Oh, that's fantastic! And they had a and they had an extra guitar, and I'm like, God, you got to show me how to do that. Show me some chords. Show me how to play. And I'd already played piano when I was young. Yeah. So I I had music in my my bones, you know. And so I picked, you know, they they had an old Fender guitar that they let me borrow for a while. Then I just ended up buying it from them for fifty bucks, and uh, and my infatuation began. No, and I was just obsessed with it. I would play it all the time. I would, I would sit under a ladder well and just learn to go from D to C to G. You know, just playing chords. And and any time somebody wanted to, you know, come by and say, oh, can't you can't play your guitar? Only if you show me something. You uh, know, show me something. I mean, I wanted to feed off of anybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, so that. That became my, my infatuation. And my first wife said, she made some comment that uh, I was just her infatuation. I was just the infatuation of the month when it came to her, you know, my relationship <laughs> with her. Because I was. And then, ooh, this became my infatuation. Yeah. You know, and it drove a wedge, really, mm. between us. Yeah. Which is too bad, I guess. I mean, so you uh, did 20 years in the Navy. I did 27. 27 years in the yeah. Navy. That's a long time. Yeah, I retired in 2007. Joined it in 80 and retired in 2007. Really? Mm-hmm. You retired here? Yeah, that's when I started working at I retired from VFA 94 yeah. in 2007, uh, August. Uh, I was on terminal leave for six weeks before I started working here. With you know at FRC, yeah, 
And I started there in uh, September and uh, been there ever since. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like uh, transitioning from the Navy to the civilian life? I didn't have any trouble with it. No? Not at all. And I loved my Navy career. Yeah. I don't live it. I don't live through it, you know, um, but I, I loved it. I loved the places. I, I went on 10 deployments the whole time I was in. I made 10 deployments in countless detachments, you know, because every deployment takes three, four, five, six detachments to get ready for it. Yeah. You know, so multiply those 10 by another, by five or six and, you know, probably 50 total detachments. Um, so I was always on the move. I guess the hardest part was 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 staying still. <laughs> yeah, you know, not go, not knowing that in a few months I was going to go somewhere. But after twenty seven years of it and being married to my current wife, um, we got married two thousand four. Um, I'd had enough of of the nomadic lifestyle. You know, how'd you meet her? Um. That's another podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We can do that. Well, <laughs> she was, uh, I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, I, she's my third wife. And I had met my second wife uh, while I was in uh, VFA 125 the second time. We got married, married for four years, and they got divorced. Uh, we had one child, a daughter. And my current wife, Mary Beth, was uh, uh, the daycare provider. Oh. So I married the babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sordid story, but it's not sordid. I mean, it's it's good sound, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. We, uh, she, she was going through some stuff. Uh, her, her father passed away in 2001. My mother passed away in 2002. We had a lot of things in common. I was going, you know, my marriage... Was, was disintegrated with my second wife. And her marriage was disintegrated with her husband. Mm-hmm. And we became really close and fell in love. And then we got married. Yeah. But uh, um, it's always more fun when I say, you know, I married the babysitter. <laughs> it has a sordidness to it. But... but it, it, but it's not. It's, uh, you know, we were both going through separations with our, our current spouses, and then yeah. we just kind of found each other. Yeah. Um, and fell in love. and We don't have any children together, but, you know, our, our kids are, we're all blended, and, you know, um, we, we treat each other's children as our own, you know. How many children does she have? She has two. Two? Um. Sam and Alyssa. Okay. Um, Sam works with us. Yes. And my um, daughter Alyssa lives in Visalia. Okay. And my daughter Tiffany lives in Reno. And my my son Justin lives in uh, near Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, but we yeah we're we're we we treat each other's kids like children like they're our own. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. It is. It is. Hell of an interesting story, though. Yeah. <laughs> I could make another podcast out of it. Yeah, yeah. 
So you start working as a civilian and it's a stable life. Yeah. But it was kind of a small FRC at that time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It had just started. Half the size it is now. It had just started, right? Uh, The company actually. In the early 2000s, it was just a little crew. Yeah. Frank, you remember Frank? Yeah. You know, and and there was maybe, shit, I don't know. Because I was still in the Navy. I was still active duty. And I I remember this little crew working in Hangar 1. They didn't even have Building 180. Um, back then, Building 180, where, where they're at now, before it got expanded, was the flight line where for uh, transients, aircraft. Oh, okay. You know, when when, when uh, squadrons deployed, that's where they would meet their the, the C-9s to take them to, to uh, San Diego or wherever they were flying off to. Yeah. Um, that was the air terminal. Um, now the air terminal's over on the other side by the towers. But yeah. The terminal used to be where we're at now. Yeah, and uh, Frank and and Bill Johnson and these guys worked. They were just a small crew that worked out of Hangar One, and that was around two thousand three or four. I joined them in seven, so you know three or four later. Then they built one eighty um, into what it is you know now, um, and then it's just grown. Yeah, ever ever since. Yeah, when I when I first started. There between contractors and federal, there was maybe seventy people. Okay. And that had grown a lot from what it was in, in the initial stages. Yeah. They yeah. were just a little ISR crew at the beginning. You know, they just did ISR kind of work. Yeah. No mods, PMIs. You know, didn't do any of that. It was just ISRs. Yeah. Just trying to fix what got broken. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you you were still an electrician at that time. I was still in the Navy. I was a chief by then. Okay. I'd made chief in uh, um, VFA 105 in 1999. No, but when you joined FRC, you oh, were... Oh, when I joined FRC, I yeah. was a retired senior chief. When I, when I retired from the Navy, I was an E-8, a senior chief. Yeah. So I wasn't... I hadn't been really a, an aircraft electrician for quite a while. I mean, my, my squadron before that was... Uh, um, v- VFA 151, mm. the Vigilantes, and I made chief in that squadron, but um, I made that chief in 1999, and at that point, I kind of stopped becoming being an aircraft electrician, and then I was a chief. Yeah. You know. So you got hired on at FRC doing what? But I got hired as an electrician. Oh, okay, okay. Because I, that's what my trade was in the Navy. So yeah. I had to, um, I had to dig in my past, you know, to resurrect some old skills yeah and working as a depot electrician and working as an o-level electrician is two different things yeah yeah but it's it's it was really good to have had that foundation as a electrician in the navy yeah for sure i mean it definitely helped me for you know for sure absolutely and you did that when did you get promoted to which one I don't know. Which promotion? <laughs> you got promoted to a supervisor. Oh, that happened. Uh, well, I, I did seven years on the floor as an electrician. And I decided it was time to kind of move up or on. Yeah. You know, and, and, and E&E job, the evaluator job, opened up. So I 
and that was in twenty end of twenty fifteen. Um, so I applied for it, kind of a kind of a, as a lark, you know. Uh, it was a sheet metal E and E job, evaluator job that it opened up, and they opened up three jobs, three positions, and I thought, well, I'm an electrician, I'm not going to get it, but a friend of mine who was uh, a planner at the time um, said, "You're stupid if you don't." apply. His name was Javier and he uh, was Puerto Rican. Okay. So he had a nice thick accent. <laughs> you know, stupid difficult don't, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well I might as well apply for it. What the hell? What are they gonna do? Say no? No big deal. I still have a job. So I applied for it and I um, I spent a lot of time on my resume. I got some good inputs from Javier and from Mike Ward. I don't know if you remember Mike Ward. I don't think, I think no, he I don't left think before you got here. Yeah. He was the evaluator at the time, really good friend. Bass player in my band, Safe for Flight. And uh, another podcast, we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, um, so they they gave me a lot of help. And Tom Kinney helped me with, with it. No. And sure enough, I wrote a stellar resume. And it got me the job. No shit. So um, I was actually working on the floor with Saba when Vic came out. Yeah. And he grabbed me. He said, hey, I need to see you in my office. I'm like, oh, shit. So I went in the office, and he said, have a seat. We're waiting on a phone call from San Diego. And I said, and about what? About the job. And I'm like, holy shit. Is this going to be, I thought it was going to be an interview. Yeah. And they were going to ask me questions. And I said, Vic, you realize I lied about everything, right? <laughs> I don't know any of this crap. <laughs> and he's like, relax. You already got the job. It's going to be to offer you the job. Oh, like, oh okay, good. <laughs> Like, don't ask me what ADCS is. I don't know. <laughs> I lied about everything. <laughs> I just, it's a resume. Aren't you supposed to lie on your resume? You're, you're supposed to lie. You're supposed That's to right. just embellish it. And then I'll learn it later, which I did to some degree. So Obviously a lot more since you're well, still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> then that was 2016. Um, I got hired. Then I got picked up as the evaluator. And I did that for... About three years, and then uh, the E&E branch um, grew from three people, just me, Mike, and Raph. Um, it grew into six people, and at the time, we didn't have a supervisor. When I first got hired, we didn't have a supervisor, just three of us. Yeah. We worked for, I don't remember, Dwayne. Yeah. But we worked for Dwayne, you know, Vic. Um, but then it, everything expanded, we grew... And a supervisor position opened up, and I didn't want it to go to a stranger, and nobody else wanted to apply for it. And so I applied for it, and I got it. No shit. That was about three years ago. Wow. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Huh. So, you're... Currently, right now, you're working as a contractor, and yeah. you're thinking about retirement. Th yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How does that change your life right now? Like, when you're trying to um, plan out for retirement, trying to yeah. go where you're last going to live at, or are you going to move around, or are you going to... No, the, the plan is... Uh... By this time next year, I will be in Michigan. Yeah. Um, 
as far as changing my lifestyle, I mean, I, uh, I have to sell a house. I got to get rid of a bunch of stuff. And I'm going to sell my car. And I'm going to pack up a van. Or not a van, but a, a U-Haul. I'll load up all my drums and my musical stuff. That's the only thing I care about taking with me. And that's my wife's in Michigan now with the house. Yeah. And uh, you're not going to sell any of your music equipment. You're going to sell. sell, I might pare down some. Oh, okay. You know, a little bit. I don't need everything that I have. But the PA, because my plan is we're only going to live not even an hour from Detroit. Yeah. The music scene over there is a lot better than it is here. Oh yeah. So I I'd like to you know I, I'm not ready, I'm not giving up music, you know. So I want to play in a band over there, and so I want to keep my my equipment. Yeah, because that's that your I, passion, right? That is my passion. That is your passion, and you like you you just like playing music with people. I do. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I love it. You get creative. I feel creative. I feel yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I just it just the the buzz you get from from interacting with other musicians is just great. Yeah, even if it, even if, whether I'm playing live or just here in the garage jamming with my buddies, um, or going to a rehearsal with one of the one of the bands I'm in. Yeah, uh, just playing is fun. Yeah, you guys, do you ever get in the process of trying to write music? Um, not so much. Not, so, not much. so much. I'm not really a music writer. I just, I like to interpret. Um, I was in a band that did original music and it was great. Yeah. It was great. Um, we had a really good songwriter in the band and he wrote, um, original songs and they had kind of a rock, reggae, pop kind of feel to them. Yeah. And, uh, uh and that way, I could just throw in my interpretations. You know, I didn't have to copy somebody's beat. Yeah. You know, if I'm playing somebody else's music, um, I generally want to play the beat that they're playing and throw in fills that work with the song. You know, that they wrote. Yeah. But yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if we write it, I can. It's a blank. You know, slate for me. Yeah. You know, I can. I can play it however I feel it. Is there a type of music that you like to stick to? I'm a hard rocker at heart. Okay. So, uh, I but, but as far as playing, when it comes to my listening pleasures, you know that's that's probably another podcast. But <laughs> my playing style is I'm I'm a rocker at heart. Yeah. I'm not a metal guy, so I don't play really fast double bass kind of beats and stuff. I'm more of a hard rocker. Kind of guy, you know. I love Zeppelin and Aerosmith and you know Sabbath and Priest and Rush and you know bands like that. Ted Nugent, you know, straight up Guns N' Roses. You know, yeah. I like a lot of the '90s hard rock, Foo Fighters and Stone Temple Pilots and Metallica, Pearl Jam. I like Metallica. Corn. Um, I don't. I love again listening <laughs> pleasures and playing pleasures are two different things. I yeah. love. Corn to listen to. I don't. We don't play any of their music. No. I've never been in a band that played any, any of their music. Mm. Um, it's kind of different, though, right? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I love corn. Yeah. And you like Rush too, right? Okay. <laughs> That's another. <laughs> I pop. had to mention it. That's a whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love. Yeah, Rush is my number one band of all time. Yeah. Yeah. The only tattoo I have on my body. Oh, look at that. Look at that. 
I mean, you can't see it. But there it is, Rush, twenty-one twelve on my arm. It's the only tattoo I have on my body. Yeah. So, uh, how does it feel to almost get to that point of retirement? Um, it hasn't really sunk in yet. No. I'm still, you know, I still go to work every day, and I still, I still enjoy working. I, but I'm, I get more tired. You know, I'm older, so I get tired. Yeah. Um, and the idea of walking away and uh, being on a permanent vacation instead of just working for the weekend. You know, every day is a vacation. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with that. No. No, no. No. I'm not going to be one of those, I guarantee you, I won't be one of those guys who dies two years or a year after retirement. Because you don't move around. Because I, I embrace whatever changes occur. Yeah. You those know, guys. I'm those... not, I, I'll stay busy with something else. Yeah. You know, some guys are, they're so devoted, you know, and, and up until, you know, last couple of years, I was pretty devoted to my work, but, uh. I don't think so much anymore. You know, work is just to pay the bills and, yeah. and uh, allow me to buy drums <laughs> <laughs> and to play in my band. But uh, but I'm not you know I'm not married to work. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be. Oh my God, what am I going to do with my time now that I don't have a job? Yeah. You know, when I moved to Michigan, uh, I told my wife, I said, I'll be your permanent gardener. I'll take care of the yard. I'll pull, you know, I'll trim and prune and pull weeds and mow and a couple hours a day of yard work. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And that's that's how people perish a year after they retire is they just become they, they couch locked. They don't have uh, a purpose. You got to have outside activities. You got to have, you have to have hobbies. You have to have passions. Yeah. Of some sort that aren't revolving around your work. Yeah. You know, as you can see, my passion, I'm surrounded by, by music. That's my passion. I only work to maintain my passion, <laughs> you know. All right, so now here's the question. How many drum sets do you have? Uh, well, I, I have four. You have four drum sets. <laughs> and they're four. not real small kid drum sets. They well, are... I have I have a Roland kit over here. Okay. Uh, electronic kit that I do most of my practicing on. Um, I have in, in the drum room, I have uh, my main kit. I have two kits in the drum room, and I have this one here that's... I'm probably going to sell that one. I'm going to... I, I don't need that many. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to sell that one because I like that one better. The, the one that's in the other room. Yeah. I like it better. So this one I have in here is a Gretsch kit. Um that I, I will be selling. So I'm, I'm not going to... And I, when I move, I'm not going to have three I'm, or four. I'm just, I'll have two. Okay. I'll, I'm going to keep that one. And... Well, I'll probably have those two that are in there. <laughs> because the one's a gig kit. And yeah. The other one's my permanent in place. That's the one I... When I'm ready to go play for an hour, that's the one I go to. Yeah. That's that's my, my, my uh, number one kit. What is the gig kit? What is, you? What brand is it? It's a Tama. Is it? They're both Tamas that, oh. that are in there. They're both okay. Tamas. And you said one's more higher end than the yeah, other. Yeah, the other one's a star. It's a star classic. 
And it's a higher-end kit than the other one. But they're both good kits. They're Mm -hmm. both really good. Okay. But the one I don't want to have to break down and set up all the time because eventually you're going to scratch something or it gets a lot of of use and abuse. Yeah. The other one I don't mind. I'll set it up or I'll break it down and keep it stored. And then when I'm ready to use it for a gig, I can just take it. Pull it it up. Yeah. I don't have to break it down because it'll already be broke down. And do you have any other musical equipment? Guitars? I have two guitars. I That's have, it? Uh, yeah. And a drum... Or a, electric a guitars? No, I don't have any electrics. I, oh. I used to, but I kind of stopped playing electric, so I just went to acoustic. Acoustic. I mean, I'm not a great electric player, but I can play pretty decent acoustic. Okay. So I have I have a nylon string classical guitar and a, uh, a steel string Taylor uh, acoustic guitar. Okay. That's the one I play on the most. Do you? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. The steel string. Yeah. Is there a difference? Can you oh, yeah. It? Yeah? Yeah. I mean, the nylon string is more... Uh, just the tone, mm-hmm. the sound of the guitar is different. Uh, the style of music that you would play on the nylon string is different than the style of music you would play on the steel string. Oh, okay. You know, back years ago, uh, I was really into uh, classical guitar. And that's all nylon string playing. Finger style and um, reading music, and I was really into that for a while. Yeah. And then uh, I developed a problem with my right hand where I, I couldn't really finger pick very well anymore, so I kind of gave it up. Yeah. And uh, I didn't want to stop playing. I just changed my style, but the style, the steel string is better for the style that I decided to start playing. Okay. More just strumming with the pick and playing with the pick. Yeah. You know. Just messing around. Yeah. I, uh, I take it serious, though. I mean, I, I know, you know, I used to play a lot of songs. And and uh, for a while, I was I, th- I told you about it at work, the uh, acoustic act that I was going to do. Oh, yeah, a friend yeah, of mine. yeah, yeah. That's kind of fizzled out, I think. But but we did a, one gig with it, and it was a lot of fun. Did you? I, we played out 24 songs, and I spent a lot of time relearning because I... Once, once I became a drummer again, um, that's been my, my, my focus, Yeah, is drumming. Yeah. And guitar took a back seat. But for, for many years, it was all about the guitar. Okay. Um, is there anything that you did to prepare for retirement? Um, like, did you... Start saving money? Did you pay off all your debt? Did you? Well, yeah, I try to pay off debts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could always could have saved better, <laughs> you know. But most of us can say that. Um, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, debts. I got rid of a lot of debts. Um, when I when I retired from federal service, yeah, I mean, I used some of the TSP money to that I had you know, saved. Yeah. To to wipe out all my debts. Yeah. You know, when I retire, I, I want to be debt-free. Yeah. And I pretty much will be. Yeah. All right, so kind of trying to wind this down a little bit. Okay. Is there uh, anything else that we should know about you? <laughs> another podcast. Yeah, right? another podcast. Well, we, I would love to talk more about my about my music. And we are going to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what... Because that's the core of who I am. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. But, uh, um, I don't know. 
covered a lot of my history. Yeah. And, and that's what this is about, just your Yeah. Your experiences. Yeah. No, I mean there's always more experiences out there to to have. To hash, but yeah. um I got the big ones. Yeah. You know. I mean, we didn't talk about my mom passing away in two thousand two. That was a big the big life, deal life changing event. Yeah. yeah. Um getting married to uh my current wife was a you know big life-changing event mm -hmm. and uh no i think i can't think of anything else <laughs> <laughs> all right well i appreciate this uh thank you. awesome conversation thank, thank you for everything no thank you this was this was very fun my first podcast ever and, <laughs> um i hope it's somewhat interesting give you a taste of uh what we're gonna do for the music episode yeah yeah that's gonna be yeah. awesome yeah I mean, if you want to talk to just me, I can talk for hours about music or getting me and Tom and Dave or something together would be fun. I think to have all three of you guys sit down and either argue with each other or talk, and I'm just going to sit back and kind of poke around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That'd yeah, be no, awesome. We, we, uh, we get into some great discussions about music, especially me and, especially me and Tom. Dave as well. I mean, every, every, all three of us are... Are great lovers of of rock and all kinds of music, and, and we all have diverse tastes. We're not just stuck on one style, you know. We all love very broad, a broad spectrum of, of music. Yeah, you know, all of us. Yeah. So it'll be awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you for this. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Louis. Well, that's it for now. I want to be clear on something. No one person grows up the same. Everyone has their own opinion and how they come up with it. That's why I started this, so that I can understand you and your guide to your path. If we all have different strengths, then maybe, just maybe, we can learn from each other.